BAE Systems Australia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. This is a BAE Systems Australia podcast. Welcome to Beneath the Deck, a podcast series that tells the stories of the people behind some of Australia's largest shipbuilding and sustainment programs. Career paths are not always clear, especially at the beginning. Indeed, starting working life as an apprentice, maintaining military aircraft, and then eventually ending up overseeing the refurbishment of Navy ships might seem an unimaginable progression to most. G'day, I'm Drew Radford, and such a varied career was indeed unimaginable to Peter when he started his working life as an RAAF apprentice. However, it's not now. Indeed, he views the defence sector as a world of limitless career opportunities. These days, Peter works in Perth as a project manager for BAE Systems Australia. To discuss how he got to this point and the opportunities that he sees for others, he joins us for this Beneath the Deck podcast. Peter, thanks for your time. Uh, G'day, Drew. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast today. Peter, you work with ships these days, but that's not where you started your career. In fact, you're a long way from that, from what I understand. Where'd you begin? Yeah, well, I joined uh, the Royal Australian Air Force at the ripe old age of 17 years old and uh, spent 22 years servicing and maintaining military aircraft, basically, for the Air Force. Worked across various places, such as the C-130 Hercules over in Sydney, through to various different types of aircraft in uh, the Aircraft Research and Development Unit in Adelaide, and then finally ended my career over in Canberra working on the VIP jets that the Prime Minister flies around on. Yeah, I was curious about the fact that you worked on the Prime Minister's aeroplane, but I assume that's more of a technical side as opposed to actually knowing more about what goes on in it. Oh, that's absolutely right. Yeah, our job was to keep the aircraft flying and make sure that they were in a uh, a safe and serviceable state uh, when we sent them off. Peter, you said you started working in defence at age 17. Is is there a family background there? That's quite a young age to step out and get stuck straight into it. Yeah, my father joined the Air Force when I was five years old and uh, he travelled around the country, even spent a couple of years up in Malaysia on one of his postings. And uh, he took me along to all the different um, air shows that the Air Force put on. And he also taught me to fly and build line control aeroplanes. So right from a very early age, I guess I had a lot of exposure to the military and in particular the Air Force. And as I developed, I uh, grew even fonder of the idea of fixing and maintaining aircraft. It was just a natural progression for me into the uh, Air Force. Was your dad in a maintenance kind of role? No, he was in a supply chain management role, actually, providing all the parts and equipment and so on that kept the aircraft flying. But you gained a really good insight that there is so much involved in terms of what it actually takes to run the Air Force. It's not just people flying planes. Oh, no. Um, There's thousands of jobs in the uh, Air Force, all types of different careers. 
uh, and opportunities, uh, not just in the Air Force, but in the military as a whole. I actually was fortunate enough to spend three years working in the recruiting centre in Adelaide. And I probably recruited more people into the Army than I did into the Air Force whilst I was there. But certainly any one of the services provides a unique opportunity to get some uh, fantastic experience, but also some awesome skills that are transitionable into uh, civilian life. In terms of that transition, Peter, you obviously did that because you said you worked in the Air Force for 22 years. Where did you go from there? I didn't go very far away from the military. I joined the what was then known as the Defence Materiel Organisation, which was responsible for the uh, purchasing and upgrade of military technology. So I actually moved into, I guess, an Air Force-related area where I was responsible as an engineer to help the procurement of guided weapon systems for the FA-18 aircraft. I also helped with procurement of uh, some weapon systems for the Anzac-class ships, which is what I work on today. But also later on in my time in uh, the Defence Material Organisation in Canberra, I was responsible for delivering some of the satellite communications technologies that's not only on the ships, but also is used by the Army as well. Peter, you've dealt with some phenomenal technology in that time. So obviously you're on a constant learning curve, I guess. You're constantly studying and re-qualifying. I wasn't the best of students at school. I have found that um, I do have a thirst for knowledge and especially when it comes to technology. So I have spent a lot of my career doing training, getting my skills upgraded, my knowledge improved in order for me to then be able to take the next steps and become more effective in uh, what I'm able to achieve and do for the organisation that I'm working with at the time. So whether it's learning about a new aircraft system and how to maintain it, or whether it's learning about a new weapon system and how to introduce it into military service, they're all things which um, you know have always appealed to me. And learning is just such a critical part of that. And When you're learning to do something that has a practical application, I think that's really important from my perspective, at least. Well, fortunately, you do have that thirst for knowledge and that desire to learn. So that's obviously not a challenge to overcome. But I imagine moving around could be a bit of a challenge. Or is that just in your DNA from growing up in a defence family? I've never really called anywhere home. We started off as a family in uh, South Australia and then moved up to Queensland and then to Canberra, then to uh, Malaysia and then down to Melbourne again. So that's just as a kid growing up. So moving across and around different places uh, and living in different places is just almost like where the work is, is where I go. I don't have those deep rooted connections to any specific location. But I do enjoy everywhere that I've been and I make the most of it by travelling. I enjoy four-wheel driving and uh, getting out camping and so on. And seeing and experiencing new places, I think, is um, you know one of those, again, thirst for knowledge type things that we've talked about in order for me to uh, continue to grow and mature. Peter, you've worked on some pretty amazing projects and planes as well, such as the FA-18. Do you get to those points and think, wow, this is the pinnacle of what I'm doing? Or do you think, oh, this is just another step on this pretty amazing career path that I'm on? So I've had three careers, essentially, if I look at it. My initial career in the Royal Australian Air Force, there was a lot of things that I did there that I can look back on with a lot of pride and say, you know, I did that, I made that happen. 
But likewise, when I was in the Defence Material Organisation, I think one of the best things that um, I got to do and really felt like a sense of achievement was delivering a capability onto a platform, be it an F-18 or whether it was deploying a satellite communications capability to the Army. You said you've had basically three careers. You now work for BAE Systems Australia. So you've gone from, I guess, working on the government side to working to the supplier side. So how did that come about? It's quite a change, isn't it? I joined BAE Systems Australia, worked in Canberra for a little while, supporting some of the contracts that they had there. And then the opportunity to come over to Perth, which we'd never been to Perth before. We'd not lived over this side of the country. And uh, the opportunity to come over here and work on the Anzac class ships supporting a very, very significant upgrade to the ships. The ASMD upgrade to the ships introduced a new radar capability into the platform, which had a significant capability improvement for the Royal Australian Navy that made the ships more lethal than what they had previously been. And and that was an exciting opportunity for me. And uh, the family was open to the opportunity to go to Perth and experience a new place, a new location. And for me, it was another opportunity to learn and grow. Obviously, my background had never been with Navy ships, and I had to learn a whole new language and a whole new culture. But also, I had to learn about the technologies of the ship, how they worked, why they worked, and what we needed to make them work. The ships would be up on the hard stand for essentially a couple of years whilst we did the upgrade. And so we needed to maintain the ships, keep them in a serviceable state. And then when we put them back into the water, we'd then take another three or four months to get them ready to then go back out to sea and hand them back over to the Navy for them to take away and use that capability. Peter, you're working primarily on the radar kind of side of it. I was reading somewhere it was a mast upgrade. Now, when people think of masts, I think of fairly simple things, but this is a fairly complex piece of equipment, I'm guessing. Yes, we're currently in the second upgrade program since I first arrived over here. The first program introduced a uh, radar capability into a mast. And when we talk about a mast, we're talking about something that's about 20 metres tall and about six, seven metres wide. So it's not a small construction and we build it from scratch. The second upgrade program is another radar upgrade, but the upgrade program itself is quite significant. And the second upgrade program, which we're currently three quarters of the way through, not only is upgrading the radar capability, but also upgrading a lot of the service systems on board the ship as well. And we're talking about things that you wouldn't even think about when it comes to a ship, but things like the sewage treatment system, the air conditioning and heating systems, the refrigeration systems for food and supplies, Those kinds of things are all part of what we're upgrading on the ships at the moment. So if you can imagine a large military warship up on the hard stand with several large holes cut out of the side of it, with its mast being removed, the paint gets stripped off it and the new coat of paint gets put on it. And just that activity alone is many hundreds of thousands of hours. Building the mast starts about 18 months before the ship even arrives for us, and we build it from scratch in the construction hall using something like around 40 or so small to medium enterprises in the local area that do a lot of the work for us, and then we consolidate the mast, 
put all the pipe work and all the electrical work and all the equipment and stuff inside the mast. And, and then we roll it out of our construction hall and we have a very big crane that then lifts the mast up onto the ship. The ship is 14 metres above uh, the ground, so it's quite large. And we then have to locate the mast on the ship within a very, very small tolerance because otherwise the radars won't uh, work correctly. The logistics are making my head explode a little bit, Peter, to be perfectly honest. And you've got a fairly broad title in terms of project manager. Just give me a bit of an idea of what that really means, because I'm guessing you're pulling a lot of threads together and a lot of people together to try and deliver this on time and, importantly, on budget. I have a team that works for me of project managers. So we currently have three ships on the go at any one time, and I have three project managers who are looking after each of those ships, as well as a team of ship managers, zone managers, supervisors, all the way down to the trades. On an average day here on the site, we have something like around 600 people. The majority of those are trades, and even some of the project managers that I've got working for me have had a similar sort of career to me in that they've come up from a trade background. They've gone through some of the education systems and processes which BAE Systems has available to all of our employees so that they can continue to grow and develop their careers. And some of them now are working for me as um, project managers. It's quite a remarkable career progression when you think about it. I mean, if you look back at young 17-year-old Peter and tried to tell him that you were going to be looking after the refit of three warships, how do you reckon that would have resonated? It would never have crossed my mind. No, for me, all I ever thought about as a 17-year-old was working on um, military aircraft and getting into the Air Force. And it wasn't, I guess, until much later in my career as I'd sort of gone past that 20-year point in the Air Force where I started to think about what's next because there wasn't a lot more that I could learn and grow into within the Air Force that I could see anyway. So I started to turn my attention to these other things. And this is where project management started to loom on the horizon for me. Once I'd left the Air Force and saw all of these other opportunities which exist. And this is, I guess, the the great thing about organisations like BA Systems is you might get into a position where you could be an admin assistant, as an example, and become a project controller just through the education processes which are readily available and if you've got the drive and the determination and the willingness to apply that then just about anything's available to you. Peter you're working in a big organisation and there's so many people involved are there misconceptions about a role like yours? There can be, and in particular, I guess, where my level of influence and control perhaps starts and finishes. So I'm often asked to do things which I don't necessarily have the expertise or the um, the management control over that part. But the great thing about my job and the fact that I've been here working at Henderson for the last 10 years is that I probably might not be the person who does the job, but I know who is the person to do that. And so I'm able to either point somebody in the right direction or go and seek that uh, advice or input from the right person. And that's one of the advantages of a large organisation is 
you do have these subject matter experts that you can then turn to to help support you in achieving the outcomes you're looking to achieve. What do you reckon motivates you and your, your team on a daily basis, particularly you? For me in particular, it's actually teaching the young project managers and the team that we've got here basically to do my job. I always have seen my job as to teach others how to do my job. And that's probably a legacy of my training from the Air Force. Watching them grow and watching them develop and seeing them learn and mature as project managers probably one of the key aspects that I have and the pleasures that I get out of my job. For my team, though, I think it's them being able to deliver these upgrade ships back to the Navy and watch them sail away, knowing full well exactly what um, their capability is that they've now delivered back to the Navy that's going to make the ship's crew's life much better through the upgrade of communication systems, air conditioning systems and refrigerators, for example. But also knowing that that technology upgrade which we've done to the ship is going to make them safer and make them more effective when they are put into harm's way. You've had three different careers as you described them in the defence sector. What do you reckon the best career advice is that you've received? Whatever it is that's presented to you, you need to go and fact check. You need to make sure that it's correct. So I think that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned out across the whole of my career has been don't take anything at face value. Always go and check and double check to make sure that what you're getting and what you're being told is true and an accurate reflection of um, the situation that might be uh, presented. Paddy, you've worked in a few different environments. What skills do you think are the most important in a modern workplace? I think communication skills is probably one of the keys to uh, any career opportunity that you have. Whether whether you're a plumber, um, you need to be able to communicate with your clients, with um, somebody who doesn't understand your trade, and be able to communicate effectively with them in order to gain acceptance of what you're proposing. Or whether you're a project manager having to sit in front of some very senior leaders within the uh, the customer organisation, or in my case, the Navy, and be able to communicate them the status of the project, the upgrade that you're undertaking, and um, some of the challenges that you need to be able to overcome in order to be able to deliver on the outcome. So I think that's probably one of those key pieces of advice is communication is key, open, honest, clear communication, whether it's in writing or whether it's face-to-face. I think that's probably one of the most important things. Lastly, Peter, you've got defence in your blood. I mean, your dad was in the game. You've been in the game for all of your career. What advice would you have for anyone considering a career in defence? I think it's a fabulous career opportunity for anybody, whether it's in the military itself, be it the Army, Navy, Air Force, or whether it's in defence industry. There is so much opportunity going now within the defence sector. You don't have to be a person in uniform in order to be able to affect a significant outcome for the Australian people and for the Australian government. And I think that would be my key message is, You don't have to be in uniform to be an effective member of defence. You can be a defence contractor. You can be somebody who works in the public service within defence. There are so many career opportunities that can start small and grow to something big. All you have to do is look because the opportunities are there and they're growing over the coming years 
across most of the states of Australia. Peter, you're a great example of someone who's certainly looked for and grown with all those opportunities. You've got a great career story and thanks for taking the time and sharing that with me and all those listening to this Beneath the Deck podcast. And importantly, all the best for the road ahead and particularly with the ongoing important work that you're doing. For now though, Peter, Project Manager with BAE Systems Australia, thanks for your time. Thank you, Drew. Thank you for listening. For more episodes, find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit the BAE Systems Australia website. All information is accurate at the time of release.